Hi there, I hope that you are having a wonderful start to your week. In today's episode, I talk with Dr. John Spencer about design thinking. He goes through and explains all about design thinking from the benefits to how to implement it and the steps in great detail. And the reason why design thinking is so amazing is because it allows for students to really think about a topic in a different way. It allows them to explore the content in a deeper way and be able to think through things and really develop the critical thinking skills. And more than just developing high-level thinking skills like critical thinking, analyzing, problem-solving, which design thinking does, and more, it really also helps develop social-emotional learning skills, which is so important. And John goes through explaining how design thinking helps with social-emotional learning skills. Dr. Spencer has a wide range of experience, and he talks about it in today's episode. But In addition to what he talks about, he is a frequent keynote and conference speaker, and he has shared his vision of future learning with White House Future Ready Summit in Washington, D.C. He's given a TED Talk. He has written for many publications like Kaplan Magazine, The Answer Sheet, Slate, Edutopia. He has been all over the place. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. I sure learned so much from him and I would love to know what you get from this episode. So after you listen to the episode, let me know what you get out of it and what takeaways you're going to implement in your classroom. Welcome to the Inspirational Educators Podcast. My name is Nancy McHill, a lifelong educator helping teachers reach all learners through simple yet effective and proven teaching strategies that you can implement in your classroom. These strategies and tips will engage, teach, and motivate your students. You're here for a purpose, and what could be better than supporting each other while we support our students? So sit back, relax, and come along this journey with me while we strive to reach all of our learners and make a difference every day. Hi, John. I'm so excited to chat about design thinking and all the things education today. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, so I talked a bit about your background in the intro, but please tell listeners about yourself. Yeah, so I am a former middle school teacher. I taught, um, geez, I feel like I taught every subject in middle school. I started out as a social studies teacher who also taught reading intervention, and then I taught self-contained all subjects all of the core subjects um, to a group that was either ELL, gifted, or special ed. And then um, my last two years in classroom, I taught um, STEM and journalism. And then for the last nine years, I've been at the university level. Wow, that's amazing. You've had a wide range of experience. So that shows through all of your work. I've been following you for a while and I just love everything that you put out. I'm personally a very visual person, as I'm sure most people are. And I just value the graphics you made and the videos you made to explain everything you speak about. So I know one of the major concepts you talk about is design thinking. Do you, Mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit more about it and what it is? 
Yeah, so um, I got into design thinking pretty early in my teaching career. It was probably my second year of teaching. I was already starting to do project-based learning. And I like to think about project-based learning as like the, the pedagogical framework. And then design thinking is the creative framework. And what really drew me into design thinking as an idea is how versatile it is, right? It, it's attached to every subject area. You know, I knew industry people who used it in engineering, but then also in, you know, nonprofits and the, the social sector and in publishing and in the arts. And so it was something I was seeing all around me. It was actually something I had used in college outside of education um, when I worked for a nonprofit. And so I was really drawn to the notion of like, let's use design thinking because it's what people use when they design meaningful work outside of school. And what drew me the most was I loved the sense of empathy and humility, right? Like we're going to really focus on empathy, understanding our audience, um, designing with rather than just designing for. And then also there's the permission to make mistakes, right? There's going to be a phase of revision where you work through lots of iterations. And I just felt like it, it was a good match for project-based learning. Yeah. And so really you're saying it's a skill that all people should develop, and yeah. especially students, of course, but even adults, I think. Um, and so you said that you liked that because that the qualities that kind of come out of it are empathy and humility. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, so one of the core ideas of design thinking is that you're making sure that you really understand your audience. And so you're developing a deep sense of empathy. And there's a lot of different components of it. There's understanding what people need and what they want. There's understanding other people's lived experiences and really getting to know who they are as people. There's this emotional element, but there's also this like mental cognitive element. And it's just developing a deeper understanding of other people with the goal of creating something that's actually meaningful to others. And to me, that sense of like, we're, we're creating this for others. We're going to listen to others. We're going to pay attention is where that humility comes in. And, you know, in an age of artificial intelligence and machine learning and all of these things that machines do well, one of the things that we will always need to be able to do as humans is be empathetic. And so I think it's developing that empathy that they'll need in a world of, you know, smart machines. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And you put it beautifully because it does bring out, it's so much more than just, you know, if we talk about it in terms of teaching it to our students and using it in the school, um, it's so much more than just teaching content. There are a lot of mm -hmm. values that come out of it. So I love that. Um, so in my episodes, I like to talk about kind of the how-to and how to implement yeah. and, and all those things. So can you describe what design thinking is, the process of it, and how it plays into the classroom? Absolutely. So um, there are a lot of different design thinking frameworks. I'll start by saying, you know, you might be listening and say, oh, you know what? I already do design thinking. I use 
the Stanford D school model, or I use the project zero model from Harvard. And so I'm going to describe the model that I co-created with my friend and collaborator. We do a lot of work together, um, AJ Giuliani. And so we developed something for us that would be K-12 focused. Um, we included a couple of things that we thought were really important that were maybe missing from some models like inquiry, getting students asking questions, really doing research ahead of time before they come up with their concepts. And so we made some modifications and we created something. And so I'll just describe it, if that's okay, the, the phases of it. So it starts with, we call it the launch cycle, which is an acronym. Um, L is look, listen, and learn. And so looking, listening, learning, that's all about awareness. That's your starting place. So what do I see? What do I notice? Um, who am I listening to? Um, and that's really starting with empathy. That's getting to know who your audience is. That's also getting to know the context that you're going for. Um, if you're starting with a pro problem that you're trying to solve, it's, it's really focusing on you know, understanding, growing aware of a problem. And there's a lot of entry points. Sometimes you start with like, oh, we know we're going to film a documentary. And so let's get to know our topic and our audience. Or other times it's, you know, there's this problem in our community that we want to solve. And so let's focus on that. There's a lot of different entry places, but the goal is awareness, right? So look, listen, and learn. And when that happens, students begin to get a little bit excited, right? And as they get excited, you want to tap into their curiosity. So in this phase, the A stands for ask questions. And the goal is ask tons of questions, as many questions as you want. And it's just getting them to engage in that curiosity, asking questions about what they're gonna create, about their audience, about the problems, any kind of research questions that, that they might have. And they just generate a massive list of questions. And in this phase, I really encourage teachers to not gatekeep the questions right? Just let them get, let students get questions. And if they're off topic, it's okay. Sometimes they're going to ask questions that you won't use for research, but you'll use them later when they're, when they're uh, creating their plans, when they're ideating that kind of stuff. So the goal is just get as many questions as possible and to make students unafraid to ask questions. You can provide sentence stems for, for them. That's, I always did that because I taught ELL, right? So supporting language. Um, you can give sample questions, and then you move into the U, and U is understanding the process or problem. And the understanding is where they're going to develop that background knowledge. The understanding, so again, you look, listen, and learn, ask tons of questions, now understand. And the understanding is all about research. The research could be articles that they read. It could be interviews they do with experts. It could be observations. It could be needs assessments with the community. It could be, you know, interviews with stakeholders. There's a lot of different, you know, sometimes it's play. Like they just play around with some, some items to see how they work. Sometimes it's an experiment that they do. And as they do that, they're going to build that background knowledge. And they're going to then move into navigate ideas. And so, again, they started with looking at listen and learn. They're asking questions, developing understanding. So the U is understanding. And now in navigate ideas, that's where they brainstorm and plan. And so in this phase, you really want them coming up with something original. We want it to be something um, that they are generating. I love uh, Chris Lehman talks about the distinction between recipes and projects. We really want it to be 
not a recipe, right? We want it to be coming from the students' minds. And so they're going to navigate ideas. And once they have a plan of what they're going to create, then they are then going to move to the C, create a prototype. And so creating the prototype, it could be a digital prototype, you know, it could be a physical model of something, but it could also be that they're designing a system, they're planning an event, they're doing a service project. There's a lot of different options in terms of what that C looks like, the 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 creation piece. And then when that's done, um, they're going to naturally move into the H phase, and that's where they highlight and fix. And in this phase, they're really focusing on what's working with my prototype, what's not working. So if they're you know, creating podcasts, they're going to, they're going to edit in this phase. They're going to change things. If they're doing a documentary again, it's, they've gone from storyboarding to filming to now they're editing, they're revising over and over again. Um, if it's a STEM project, same thing, it's a physical model. So there's a lot of chances for that revision. And the goal here is the permission to make mistakes. Right. And then once it's done, you move to the final phase where they're going to launch it to an authentic audience. So when they go through that, we call it a cycle because sometimes after they launch their work to an audience, they might build on it and go all the way back to look, listen, and learn again and cycle through it again and again. And that's the case of things like blogs, podcasts, certain STEM projects. Other times their launch is going to be the very end and, th and that's done. You might have a big community event. You might have something, you know, uh, with stakeholders, whatever it may be. And so that's the general sense of like how design thinking works. Yeah, and thank you for that. I was like vigorously taking notes. <laughs> um, no, this is a great model, and um, it, I'm I'm curious: do teachers like pose a problem, or do they pose a content I theme that the kids need to focus on, or like how do teachers go about this in the classroom? Yeah, so I think there's a few different ways that they can start, right? So in that look, listen, and learn, sometimes they might start with I'm posing a specific problem. We're gonna be, you know, um, solving this, I'll give an example. There was a, a, a local one near where I live that we had lost our drinking water over the summer. And so they did a design thinking project with the question, what happened to our drinking water? And it turned out there was toxic algae related to climate change. It was a whole thing. On the other hand, you might say, it's not necessarily a problem. I'm going to give you an initial problem in, in the form of we are going to be filming a documentary on blank topic, or you're going to be blogging about this particular issue. So um, your starting place is whatever you want to give them that they'll build on. And so that starting place, again, it could be a problem. It could be a scenario, right? We're going to um, be designing inclusive um, playgrounds so that they're going to be playgrounds for, for everyone, including those with limited mobility or sensory issues, things like that. So there's a lot of starting places that you can do. And the teacher will just kind of present that in, in those moments, they might start with a video that they give them. They might bring in an expert who talks about it. Um, you might even have a, a, a class meeting where you talk about, okay, here's a general idea for the project, but what do you want to do? So there's a lot of flexibility for teachers in terms of how that works. Okay. And so um, this, I see a lot of overlap with project-based learning. So, uh -huh. and you said that design thinking kind of leads into project-based learning. Is that mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. And yeah, so, so the way, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh no. I just going to ask like how, 
like what is the major difference between the two? I, I know with you mentioned a few different scenarios with starting design thinking, which, mm -hmm. you know, if you um, give like something that they have, they would have to do, like you're going to create this uh, rather than create something rather than maybe solve a problem, you know, mm -hmm. that I know part of learning is really about solving a problem, a real world mm -hmm. problem. So what would be the major differences between the two? Well, I think I would say ahead of time, there's a huge overlap, right? So um, the, the term I like to use is PBL by design. I have a little sketch video on my um, YouTube channel about this idea of like, what is the overlap? And so I would start by saying, if you're doing design thinking, you are often doing project-based learning, but you don't always have to use design thinking for project-based learning, right? So sometimes you might do PBL and instead of, using design thinking, you might use the engineering process, or you might use, you know, the scientific method or other forms. Um, similarly, when it comes to design thinking, you don't always have to use it for project-based learning. So you might do, I kind of think about it as three different ways that you might do design thinking in terms of duration. One is you might use design thinking in a rapid way. And in that way, you do a design sprint. And so I love this as like a 90 minute activity to get kids to understand design thinking where there's a little less of the empathy, a little less of the launch, but they're gonna work through all of those phases of design thinking in a fast way, right? It could be building you know, a bridge, uh, creating a roller coaster, like some kind of activity that they're going to do. We used to do PSAs that way, right? Where public service announcement, it's a quick 90 minute, you know, sometimes two or three days tops type of activity. And then you might do a mini project, a week or two week long project that's uh, design thinking, or you might do full scale PBL, you know, something that's going to be four or five weeks, a lot longer, more in depth. And so I, I kind of think, you know, there's a time when you might do PBL and don't use design thinking, and that's okay. Um, design thinking is tends to be a little more structured. It tends to have phases, deadlines, those pieces. That's part of why I love using it in PBL. But for some people who do PBL, that's a little bit too rigid, and they just kind of want to introduce the project. For the next three weeks, go, let's, let's do this project. So for that reason, I kind of think of it's possible to do design thinking and do it in other formats like a mini project or a sprint. And it's definitely possible to do PBL without doing design thinking. But I do think there's this beautiful overlap that happens when you kind of combine those at the same time. And so again, PBL is what you're doing in terms of a learning strategy, in terms of a creative strategy, you're using design thinking and those two things are, are happening simultaneously. Thank you so much for explaining that so well. Oh, no problem. Um, and I like that it's more, it seems like design thinking is a little bit more open-ended in the way that teachers can approach it. Like they can do different kinds of projects, like you explained, um, rather than just putting in a box doing like only project-based learning. It, it doesn't always have to be just project-based learning. It could be other kinds of projects. Mm -hmm. I like that there's a lot of flexibility within that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and that's that's part of what I enjoy about it too. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So, why is design thinking so important? Like, what outcomes have you seen with design thinking? Oh, I love that. So, I think there are two layers that I think about. One is 
what are those deeply human skills that students will develop, right? Some people call them soft skills. I don't think there's anything soft about empathy, problem solving, iterative thinking, all of those types of skills, those human skills that they need. And some of those skills are even more, I would argue, not just um, human skills, but some of them are are are, are skills, right? The ability to do project management or to do research or things like that. And there's sort of those transferable skills that you'll need whatever job you do in the future, right? So I think it's really, it's the concept of like design thinking allows us to empower students in the present so that they're prepared for the future. And I think that's sort of the goal, right? Every aspect of design thinking is built on student ownership. You know, they're asking their own questions. They're doing their own research. They are uh, doing their own project management, planning their projects, developing the roles, solving the conflict within a group together. They're doing self-assessments, peer assessments. It's really meant to be student-centered. So all of that happens on one level, right? Which is students are learning these transferable human skills that they will need for an unpredictable world. And I think that's huge. But then what about content? That's always the question. Like, well, we teach content and the content matters. Like I'm a history major. I love history. Like what about the content? That's really important. So what I find about that is that the research on project-based learning and content tends to be true of design thinking too. So then at an academic level, what happens is students learn the content. They learn the same amount of content that they would in a traditional way, but they learn it at a deeper level and it sticks. And so if you think about it from a neuroscience standpoint, from a brain-based learning standpoint, what's happening is there's more opportunities for retrieval and rehearsal, and that allows the information to go from short-term to long-term memory. In a really traditional one, if, if teachers are doing a lecture on Monday, a lecture on Tuesday, note-taking, one reading, and then a test, you might notice kids are forgetting things on Friday that they learned on Monday. Whereas with project-based learning, with design thinking, what happens is the learning, the learning is more interconnected. So you're constantly cycling back to prior knowledge and building more synaptic connections and therefore it's sticky, right? The learning doesn't go away at the end of the week. And that's why, you know, if you think about things that you learned when you were younger, you probably remember certain things that you in that epic project you did in seventh grade, right? Or whenever it may be, but you might not necessarily remember that worksheet that you did, right? And so it's the same kind of thing. It, it becomes sticky. Yeah. Yeah. And so I know that I think for teachers across the board, their most precious thing is time and, mm -hmm. you know, making sure that they can plan and maximize their time. And, um, and of course, you know, we, I think teachers in general tend to yeah. go over hours, but I'm sure, you know, they don't want to spend hours and hours of planning one project or process. So um, what would you say for a teacher to start implementing design thinking in their classroom and, and how, you know, maybe it might take some time in the beginning, but then less time when students are actually working. What do you have to say for that? Yeah, so I think time-wise, one of the best options is to start small, right? So actually start with a mini project or start with a sprint. And 
as you do that, go through the planning process, figure out what protocols work best for you, build on that. And then later think about what does it look like to do a big, long design thinking project, right? So I would say time-wise, I would start there. Um, the planning time takes a while, that's true, but I do think there's some great curriculum online and, and there's nothing wrong with buying a curriculum, using a curriculum. Um, there are definitely great tools online that you can use. So uh, I mentioned the Stanford D School, IDEO has some great tools. So, you know, download some tools, use some things like that. And, um, and then I would also say one of the best time savers is collaboration. You know, for me, design thinking really clicked when I could co-plan with all of the social studies teachers together in our PLC. And then also when we were in a team in middle school and we did some interdisciplinary projects like the, the week before a break when a lot of kids are missing and all that kind of stuff. You know, you've already taught your main standards for the semester and now we're gonna do a week long interdisciplinary design thinking. And I'm telling you the when the, the planning burden is shared amongst everyone, it just makes it so much easier. Um, and then like you kind of alluded to, once you start doing the project, like I, that's when you really save time. And I found myself grading as I go. I found myself leaving school less tired each day um, because the students are doing more of the work. I'm doing less. And I know this has been said by so many people, but um, the goal should be that students leave home tired, not the teacher, right? So at the end of the day, I would find myself excited and students would be exhausted because they'd been doing so much of the work so much of the thinking. And I loved that aspect because I knew that that meant they were learning. I wholeheartedly agree with you because um, the learning should be for the student. The students are the ones that are mm -hmm. taking in the information and they will remember what they're doing. Like you said previously, way more mm -hmm. than just filling out worksheets and it's less work for the teacher. They don't have to fill out you don't have to grade worksheets and make coffees and all of that. The students are the yeah. ones doing the work. I think the majority and the bulk of the time will be spent planning. But then when it's facilitated, when it's presented to the students, you're, the teacher's just kind of facilitating instead of, you know, the regular traditional teacher things. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's so true. Well, and I know you have a lot of experience with... Um, you know, project-based learning and, you know, helping teachers and coaching teachers through that. Like what has been your experience there with that sort of time trade-off? Yeah. So when I taught, I, it, that was kind of how it was where I did spend the majority of the time planning, but then I loved seeing it come into play with the students because it kind of ran smoothly, even when I first started with project-based learning, because you present the problem and kids are so open and resilient if it's presented in the right way. So I just presented the problem, present, you know, get a bunch of books from the library. So kids have a lot of resources to, to go through. I, I taught elementary, so they weren't really using computers mm -hmm. as much yeah. and so that's how they would research and I would taught them to use their textbooks as research rather than you as a resource rather than just read from the textbook which I 
never yeah. did. I swore as a teacher, I'd never yeah. love my students to do that. Um, and so it just worked really well. And I got to work with students one-on-one -on -one and really help those students that are struggling. And then on the other hand, help students uh, develop more higher level thinking skills if they were ahead. So I just love that process and just the idea that project-based learning could really be used for all types of students, students that struggle mm -hmm. to students that need more of a challenge. So I found that. And when I talk to teachers about that and teach them about project-based learning, they, their eyes mm -hmm. like, because they're like, wow, it could be done in a different way. And unfortunately, this isn't taught in our credential programs for some reason. Uh -huh. I think it should yeah. be. Um, just the whole process because it's it's not just about teaching the content like you said it brings out so many other skills empathy mm -hmm. skills and you know human skills and critical thinking skills problem solving skills analyzing skills just all the things that students need to thrive in the real world mhm mm mhm mm so true yeah so earlier you said that, um, you know, design thinking brings out the human skills. And so I think it really helps teachers with that, just help like bringing it back to thinking about the students, help, helping them think about the problem and, and seeing and coming up with a process that way. But how do you suggest that teachers can help students bring out human skills? Like how would you helps the students themselves, you know, develop those skills. So I, I think, um, you know, we often have this, this concept in our head of like, let's teach students how to be empathetic or how to be good collaborators or how to do, you know, and it's often done in these like isolated SEL workshops or SEL, you know, 20 minutes a day. Um, I don't think that's where you develop those, right? I think you develop those through things like design thinking. Um, there's a great book on this, actually, uh, Pulse of PBL with um, Mike Cackley and Matinga Regatz, where they argue, if you want students to develop those skills, um, the best way to do it is to practice those skills. So they become a mindset and a skill that sort of hits like automaticity, right? They're doing it automatically. And they develop that through things like projects. If you just talk about it, you're not going to develop it. So I think the way you design it and structure it matters. And so asking yourself, who do I want students to be at the end? What are those skills? And then next to that, what are the aspects of a project where they develop that? So maybe one of the goals that you have is collaboration well where are they actually collaborating is you know how do you make sure that when they're doing their research they're not just on their own doing research or one person's doing all of it so how do you build interdependence into it how do you allow them to share information back and forth that's collaboration when you see conflict what is your conflict resolution protocol that's collaboration and so you really focus on those critical skills that you want them to develop um, have you built in time for revision in that highlight and fix phase? Well, that's where they develop resilience. That's where they develop um, iterative thinking. That's all of those types of things. And so I think 
you know, really starting with the skills. I know a lot of schools have like a profile of a graduate or something like that. And then next to that, just even making a T-chart of those skills and then what aspects of the project will they develop those skills in? And that can be a really helpful way to keep that at the forefront. You know, I personally didn't ever assess those skills. I know people are like, well, when do you assess empathy or this or that? My reason why is if I assess you and give you an empathy score or a creative risk-taking score, you fixate on the score and not on the skill, right? On the other hand, if I build that into a survey as a warm-up or an exit slip or build it into a reflection, then students are focused on self-assessment and they're asking things like, on a scale of one to five, how well did you do today with taking creative risks? Describe what went through your mind when you tried to take a creative risk. What fears or barriers or challenges are getting in the way? And so you just build those little things into a warm-up, an exit slip, a quick think-pair-share. It does not have to take a lot of time. And you focus on the, the peer and self-assessment rather than I'm going to go assess you on those critical mm -hmm. human skills. Yeah, I love how it's bringing awareness to these skills in such a natural way. And I love the self-assessment component of students really just thinking about it themselves and see how they did. Um, that's I think that's really empowering for them. And so um, what so one thing that that you're saying for teachers to do is not just really think about like the content skills, but really also 21st century skills and human skills, like have those as a goal as well. I just was going to say, and I think, you know, if you ask teachers deep down inside, who do you want students to become? And what do you want them to learn? And if you ask parents and guardians of family members, they would say, I want them to be empathetic. I want them to be problem solvers, iterative thinkers, all those different things. And so just keeping that in the forefront, I think makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important. And it's such a good point because really we do want our students to grow, to be just good, kind people and really just develop those skills that will help them with real world scenarios. So I think that's a great point. So thank you so much for teaching us about design thinking and how it can serve students and teachers in such an empowering way. Um, but before we go, I like to ask all my guests, what is an inspirational educator mean to you? Ooh, I love that. I think an inspirational educator is someone who can get you to see your potential even when you doubt it yourself right like so for me it was I mean the most in, in, inspirational educator for me was um Mrs. Smoot and how she inspired me to be a maker a creator a researcher a, a love history like um I think it, it's that notion of inspiring something in others that they maybe doubt about themselves yeah and I love that because I feel like a lot of times educators unfortunately might shut down when students are asking questions or why or, or want to push themselves just because there's so much content and you know it, it 
you, you, I'm sure, you know, there are always stories about that, but those educators that really can help students develop and help them shine and, you know, have that open-ended thought process and thinking, I think that's so powerful. So yeah, thank you so every for everything you've shared with us. And if you don't already follow John, you absolutely need to. Like I said, he always has amazing graphics and just an amazing way of explaining different concepts. Um, so I'll put his contact in the show notes. And thank you so much, John, for chatting with me today. You've provided us with so much valuable information. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Before you go, I want to give you a special offer just for podcast listeners. I am offering a limited one-on-one -on -one coaching for free. That's right, for free. I am opening my coaching spots to work with teachers for one-on-one -on -one coaching to answer any questions on instructional practices that are effective for the classrooms and simple swaps that you can make to make a big difference that's specific to your classroom. We can talk about anything from student behavior, things that you're struggling with, curriculum, creating curriculum, creating projects, whatever it might be, I am here for you and I would love to meet with you. So if you are interested in this limited time offer of one-on-one -on -one coaching with me for free, email me at nancy at nancymichael.com.